Hi there, you're listening to the Guitar Speak podcast, the show produced in Sydney, Australia, where we speak to leading guitar figures from all around the world. My name is Matt Wakeling, and thank you so much for joining me. Now today, we welcome back Terry Wallman for part two of our discussion, detailing his incredible 30-plus year career as an in-demand guitarist, composer, and music director in L.A., Terry speaks candidly about music directing for both live television and high-profile touring, working with some giants of the music world, namely Al Jarreau, Stevie Wonder, Dion Warwick and Joe Walsh, just to name a few, overcoming personal adversity and much more. Terry also talks about his fantastic radio show, Making It with Terry Wallman, which features interviews with world-class musicians and creative professionals. It was awesome to have Terry back to continue our conversation and let's jump straight into it. All right, Terry, welcome back for, for part two of our, our conversation. Thank you, Matt. Now, where we left off last time, you were saying working in TV uh, toughened you up in the business. Now, I need to clarify, you, because you've done acting work as well as lots of music directing on, on talk shows. Which, which aspect are you talking about? Uh, definitely music directing okay. on TV. Yeah. Um, the, my acting experience is, is more basic. And you basically are there to serve a purpose uh, and hit your marks and, you know, look at the camera, not look at the camera. Just take direction from the director. Sure. It's not um, not to diminish um, the the challenge of it, but it's not it's not as detailed uh, and as loaded as music directing when you're playing live and leading a band. There's 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 generally no drama in the acting part ironically because you're in the dramatic <laughs> arts <laughs> as, as i say that um, <laughs> i'm just talking about music directing for uh for television okay. uh there's you know there are a lot of moving parts right and sure. um and so it can get um it's easy to uh miss out on information uh you know things happen quickly they you know they're happening at a fast pace and Sometimes you don't get the the same information as everybody else on the team and they're waiting for a piece of music that they forgot to tell you about or, you know, things like that happen. Okay. Okay. Uh, as, as well as uh, when you're really at a high level of, of what you do and all the, the, the musicians that have played in my TV bands are world-class musicians, they make it look easy. Mm-hmm. And they make it look like it's just fun and uncomplicated and that we're just playing, you know, n- not just literally, but figuratively that there's there's no it looks like there's no effort involved. And I think because of that, people don't take what we do sometimes as seriously or understand the amount of preparation that goes into making that happen. Sure. So, you know, you can just sort of be taken for granted, I think, Okay. you know, and they'll in, 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 um, only in the way that they might think that, for example, you know, they, they'll need a piece of music written for a skit or something. And it's only a, a one minute or three minute skit. So they, they can't fathom why it would take an hour to write a piece of music. Yeah, that sure. <laughs> just that play only something. lasts for just play. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah, just yeah. play. 
Yeah. <laughs> you know, you know, or make it sound like this, but not too much like that. But, yeah. you, know, you know, so th- there's a, there's a craft to making that happen. And yeah. they sort of forget that, um, you know, the the man behind the curtain, you know, to, yes. to make it all happen. OK. OK. Yeah. And as music director, is there are you kind of the. Uh, I guess the advocate for the musicians in a way you've got these people asking for these perhaps esoteric ideas and then you've got to convert that into musical language for your for your band absolutely uh-huh. yeah you know being a music director whether it's for television or for touring yeah. you are sort of an advocate you're an advocate for the band of course mm-hmm. um, and for your fellow musicians but you're you're also in a liaison between the uh the artist the musicians the record label the tv network you know whoever it is so you sort of get caught sometimes in the crossfire (laughs) of of people having different needs and um priorities (laughs) so so. (laughs) have you got any examples you are i don't know legally bound or able to share well i I'll stay more general yeah, sure. <laughs> because I don't, I'm, I'm not big on throwing anybody under the bus, sure, but it's course, just, you know, it's just, you, just as to elaborate on what, what I was just saying before, you know, if they want you to do a piece of music that, that is three minutes long, mm-hmm. that they maybe perhaps forgot to let you know needed to be written. And I'll say, okay, well give me 15 minutes and I'll work it out with the band. And they say, why does it take 15 minutes? That doesn't make any sense. It's three minutes of music. So you find yourself in the middle of of a debate about (laughs) why, (laughs) you know, um, uh, you know, why it takes um, a certain amount of, of discussion or thought to make something work. And I have never wanted to lower the integrity of what I do or any of the musicians that are with me. Mm -hmm. So even if other people that I'm working for don't care, yeah, sure. Or th- or think or think that they don't care. Okay. Okay. You know, they I I mean they might actually care but they don't understand that if we don't take the 15 minutes to work it out, it's yeah, look, it's probably going to sound pretty good, but it's not going to sound amazing. Sure. And and I don't want to settle for anything less than amazing, particularly if I'm making a record or I'm on stage, you know, doing a concert or I'm in front of a television camera. Sure. I want it to be the best it can be always. Mhm. Now I've heard music directing described as live producing. Is that a a fair connection? That's I've never heard that, but I absolutely agree. Uh-huh. I I think that's a that's a great description. Absolutely. Because being a producer uh means that your your job is to figure out how to serve the music and the artist. Mm-hmm. You know, and how to make it happen and how to take care of uh, everybody involved, you know, so that it's the best experience it can be for all involved and, you know, from the creators to the people who are paying for it, to the audience, the listener. Sure. Yeah. So yeah, it's very, it's very similar, you know, music directing and producing. Um, it's a, sometimes it's a fine line between the two and, and, you know, it's interesting that you're bringing the question up about that because, not all music directors are are great record producers and a gr- great record producer doesn't automatically make for a great music director but there are some people that 
are very good at both and and have learned how to to straddle the line and and you know many of the skills are are very similar and the same you know they cross over mm-hmm. and then there's you know there's certain particular things you know for example when you're producing a record you want to create an environment and create a world where the artist feels comfortable and you all feel comfortable the the musicians the engineers everybody so you can create this wonderful piece of music when you're working in television um you know the the goals are different you know there's a visual aspect you know you're on camera you need to make sure everybody looks like they're having fun even mm-hmm. if they're struggling in some way or or that's not actually that's not the best choice of word even if there's a challenge involved you know whatever that might be for example not having enough time to prepare a piece of music or uh, or they might be sick or they might just have flown in from japan you know and barely gotten any sleep and you know they're on camera you know Yeah, so they're 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 different. They're they're sometimes different skill sets. But yes, I would say that um, music directing is very much like producing for me. Yeah, as a as a producer and a director and a musician, you've worked with some amazing artists. Could I just name a couple of people of uh, I'm aware that you've worked with, and maybe you could reflect on on that experience? Um, sure. There's such a big list. Where do I start? Um, Al Jarreau. Tell me about working with him. Oh boy, that's a great place to start. I I had um, basically two very memorable experiences with Al. Um, one was um, back when I was music directing a late night talk show, and Al was the guest artist. So I um, didn't get to meet him until we were actually at the the sound check or they were doing camera blocking. Um, but I had spoken to him on the phone. Uh, to talk about what the key and the ending and all that. So, but of course I was a huge fan Mm -hmm. of his and, and uh, so it was really one of the most remarkable music, musical experiences that I've ever had. And it was a thrill. It was an absolute thrill. And he's a very, he was a very um, passionate and daring musician. He just took chances. He would throw himself off a cliff and um, you know, one of, the the things that was the most remarkable we we did two songs on the first i might i believe i worked with him on television two times and then uh, years later just a just a, a few years ago maybe three years ago we were back in the studio again uh when i was producing co-producing melissa manchester's 20th record and al came in to sing a duet and it was it was sort of a, a circle complete for me because to get to have an opportunity to reconnect with him and rekindle our friendship and, and make music together literally probably 25 years later was, um, it was breathtaking, maybe 20 years later, but it was, it was just so great. And also I'm so grateful because his health had been failing him. And it was one of the last recordings that, that he made. Um, while he was still alive. Uh, but when we when we were on the TV show together, we did whatever his current hit was on the radio, but we also were able to do a second song to close the song off, to close the show, and we did Take Five. Oh, and yeah, it was really wonderful. And, and so there are modulations in Al's version of it where he goes up a half step and continues to go up by half steps. Okay. And, 
And I said, so how, how will I know? I just asked him before we did it. And I said, will you cue me? And he goes, yeah, you'll, you'll just know, just watch me. It'll be really clear. You know, you just watch me. So, so fortunately I told the band, (laughs) I said, don't watch Al for the cue, watch me. Uh Uh-huh. Because I I only want there to be one interpretation of what <laughs> what that <laughs> that modulation That's a is. Wise so choice. so wise. so it's going to be on me. So I will be the interpreter of when we are going to go up to the next key. So just keep an eye on me. I'll keep an eye on Al. Everybody have fun. See you at the end. So and mind you, the way this was set up, sometimes for uh, talk shows, the band is set on the stage, but the artist might actually be 20, 30 feet away. Okay. You know, where, wow. where they're fully lit and then they can get different camera angles. And, you know, we still are in the, in a line of sight. We can see each other, you know, quite clearly. Or occasionally the camera goes in between because they're not really thinking. You know, they're thinking about getting the shot and, you know, not really thinking about the line of vision between an artist and, yeah, and sure. a band. However... Um, I kept my eye on Al and I'm thinking, okay, you know, this is going to happen soon. And I wonder how I'm going to get the cue. And I watch him just sort of lift his shoulder a couple of inches, looking at me, smiling with a twinkle in his eye. And he just sort of lifted his shoulder, like literally two beats before the key change. Uh And I went, oh, my God, that I think that's it. (laughs) And I just like, (laughs) you know, my heart almost stopped. And I I like whipped around to the band and I just like put my hand up in the air. Yeah. You know, and we all everybody caught it. And it was like it was like flying. Yes. You know, and and at that point, the band was like they did not take their eyes off of me. (laughs) And, And I did not take my eyes off of Al because we modulated a couple more times. Yeah. And it was one of the most thrilling, terrifying, yeah, and wow. musically rewarding experiences I've ever had. Yeah, <laughs> so that's Al Jarreau. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Incredible. You mentioned the Melissa Manchester album. You um you pulled in a couple of other vocalists uh, that may be well known <laughs> for that. Um, you know, <laughs> that I'm, was well. I'm talking yes, about Stevie Wonder and Dionne Warwick. And Dionne Warwick. You yeah. must have a and pretty we also... great Rolodex. Um, I do. And so, of course, so does, so does Melissa. Yeah, sure. Um, uh, I had met Dion Warwick, you know, um, but never had worked with her before. Okay. Uh, you know, just through the years I had been introduced to her. She's always very lovely. Uh, but Melissa knew her, uh, because they had done some award shows together. Okay. So, um, so that one, Melissa reached out to, to Dion. At, with with me encouraging her to, because there uh, we had uh, we were recording a song that had never been recorded before that Melissa wrote with Hal David and Hal David was uh, the lyricist that worked with Burt Bacharach, yeah, writing yeah. all those remarkable hits wow. that Dionne Warwick sang. She you know essentially Dion was the voice of Burt Bacharach and Hal David, mm-hmm. uh, and it was the last song that Hal. It's the last lyric that Hal wrote before he died. Oh, wow. And Melissa had brought me this tune and played it for me when we were going through possible songs for the record. And I said, you know, this one, this one we need to do really special because it's never been recorded before. And, and it's, it's, let's just get it right. 
you know, it's because Hal's not here any longer. And so we talked about it and um, we ended up getting, I said, you know, I, I don't want to overproduce this one. I think if it was just piano, bass and drums with vocals, I'm not even sure if I need to play guitar on it. Uh, let's, and then I thought about Joe's sample because I said, who, who's the, the, the most wonderful piano player that you could think of to do this. And we, you know, I, we went through a bunch of names of amazing people. And I mentioned Joe and she said she would just absolutely love to work with Joe. They had tried, uh, before and it had never worked out schedule wise. So, um, and Joe was actually quite ill, um, it was before he had passed away. It was in the last year of his life. And I reached out to Joe and asked him if he w felt strong enough. It was something that he was interested in and able and willing to do. And he said, I would love to. It would take my mind off of chemo and, you know, and not feeling well. So we put that together. And then, you know, I thought, well, this would be so perfect to in a perfect world. It, how cool would it be to have Dionne Warwick sing on the track with Melissa? So Melissa reached out to Dion and Dion said yes. So she came to the studio and, and it was another remarkable experience. Absolutely remarkable. So um, uh, regarding Stevie Wonder, I didn't know Stevie. Uh, and Melissa had met him through the years, but wasn't really sure how to reach him. I mean, she had reached out to management and everything, and and it, we weren't hearing back in a timely manner. Or we would, you know, or we they would say, yeah, he he's interested. He'll get back to you. And you know, we were getting towards the end of the the record. Actually, uh -huh. you know, we were starting to mix. A really good friend of mine named Myron Bernard knew Stevie. They, you know, they kind of came up together in Detroit, and uh, Myron just called him. And and said, hey, my friends working with Melissa Manchester, they'd love to to see if you want to be on the record. And next thing we knew, he was in the studio with us. Yeah. Matt, what do you do? What do you do when Stevie Wonder turns up to sing on your track? Well, um, he ended up he didn't sing on this one. He we brought him in to play harmonica oh, okay. Uh, okay. because there was a we there was a featured harmonica part on the record and it was chromatic harmonica not blues Beautiful. and yeah, yeah. and once again i said to melissa well look let's start at the top of the list there's toots tillman who's not around anymore and yeah. and stevie wonder and um i have a friend talik olstead that lives in europe who's amazing and uh so i we you know we reached out to stevie we we by the way we set up vocal mics and we mic the piano just in case, okay, you know, you know, the spirit <laughs> moved any of us. Yeah. But the main thing was to get him to play the harmonica part, and anything else was going to be icing on the cake. Um, and what do you say to Stevie Wonder? That's a great question. Uh, he came in. Uh, we, you know, I was introduced to him. He spent a little time with Melissa. Then I went back into the studio, you know, while he was getting ready, uh, and then. Um, he came in and, and he sat down next to me in the control room before he went out, uh, you know, in the studio to play. And he said, well, let, let me hear the track. But before you play the, the song for me, he said, I'm pretty sure that you have something in mind for me to play or you wouldn't have asked me to be here. So I really want to know what it is that you need from me. 
Uh-huh. And I, I thought that was incredible. Yeah. Uh, and and I really appreciated him saying that. Uh, he said, yeah, just, you know, let me know what you need, you know, and what you want. And we'll we'll get that to happen. And that uh, and we did. And it, it, that again, it was it was surreal. You know, I mean, look, it you know, for me, it was it was a thrill. But it's sort of you, you know, you focus on the work when you're doing it. Mm-hmm. But part of the experience is absolutely surreal when you actually, when Stevie went out in the studio and started playing or when Dion Warwick or Al Jarreau or Joe Sample or, you know, you know, any of these people, when they start playing and you hear that sound that's you grew up with, yeah, yeah you know, wow. you hear Stevie wonder playing the harmonica yep. and it, it took me right back to being you know, a kid and listening to him when he was a kid, you know, singing and playing my Sharia more. Yeah, yeah. It's that. So it's like, it's in your DNA, you know, when you hear it and there's something that's just surreal and mind boggling <laughs> about that. <laughs> when, when that sound and that energy, you know, gets transposed onto this piece of music that you're creating, you know, when they, when, when those two roads merge together, it's divine. And it's, it's really amazing. I mean, I've never, uh, I can't think of a better way to explain that, that experience. And, you know, and it was the funny thing is it was actually the same way for Melissa Manchester. Okay. You know, I mean that I experienced that when Melissa Manchester sang on my record, but when Melissa and I were in the control room, looking through the glass at Dion Warwick or Al, Jero or Stevie adding their parts, you know, she just looked at me with her mouth again, you know, just her, <laughs> her jaw dropped open and she just looked at me wide eyed like a little kid. And here's, here's a seasoned artist who has been, you know, a superstar in her life Yeah, yeah. as well. She's, you know, traveled the world and sung in, in sheds and stadiums. And here she's experiencing the same thing I am, which is just, um, the thrill and the, um, the surreal, um, amazement of, of what's actually happening and how great it sounds and how wonderful it feels. You know, it's, it's, it's remarkable. I, I, you know, those kind of experiences make me so grateful, you know, that I've, that I've remained dedicated and worked so hard, you know, to get to where I have these opportunities. How, How about, um, the shifting gears, how about Joe Walsh? What was your connection there? Uh, when and again, it was uh, was the very first uh, talk show that I music directed called the Late Show, which <laughs> seems to be a pretty popular name for for <laughs> late night talk shows. But uh, at the time, it was uh, it was my first time really working in television. It was in the late '80s, and it was on Fox. It was a national uh, five day a week talk show that I music directed, and one of the the mini guests was Joe Walsh and. And I got to spend the afternoon with him and uh, and just, you know, and play a song with him. And it was um, as a matter of fact, I don't even think I played on that one. I think I um, did the arrangement and conducted, you know, made sure everything, uh, you know, stayed on track, you know, and mm-hmm. kind of led the band on that. But that was a thrill. It was an absolute thrill. And and uh, just a, a few years ago, my my girlfriend, Melanie Taylor, was singing uh she joined joe walsh's band and went on tour with him so i got to 
re-meet Joe. And he couldn't have been lovelier. He was really um, extremely nice and sounded like he sang and played so amazing. But I reminded him that we had met many, many years ago and that we had done a TV show together. And he basically, in in a very um, mischievous way, said, you know, there's a lot of things I don't remember <laughs> back in the <laughs> 80s. <laughs> But it's nice to to meet you again. <laughs> but it was great. It was really, it was fantastic working with him. It was, yeah, because that was another example. You know, nobody sounds like Joe Walsh. Mm-hmm. Very cool. I mean, I could go all day asking about people you've worked with, but that's that's excellent. I think one of the um, one of the great ways to to follow up your connection with people is um, your radio show, which I which I only just recently discovered. I, I had no idea you were doing a, a radio show, making it with Terry Wallman, where you talk with so many incredible musicians and composers yeah. and, and actors. How, how long have you been doing that for? I, I, I believe it's been about a year and a half or going on two years. Okay, uh, great. It's, it's, it's been fairly recent, yep. and it's a, a weekly show. I love doing it because uh, having the opportunity, and I know you can relate because you're on the other side of the mic, you get to speak with really fascinating people from around the world. Yeah. And and it's so interesting to me to spend an hour with an artist uh, and just talk to them about not, you know, not just about their art, but their life and their their perspective and point of view and and what their journey has been and and i'm a really curious person and and i'm a fan as well of uh these people but i also i i really like having the opportunity to share their um their stories and their point of view from you know both for for fellow musicians you know our peers that are going to enjoy it and you know, and learn some things, mm-hmm. uh, hopefully, but also the fans who get to see a more personal side of artists that they've been a fan of. And then also there's the mentoring aspect of the next generation of up and coming musicians and artists. I want them to have an opportunity to hear these stories, you know, and and really get an idea of what's really, truly important in life you know not just how fast you can play mm-hmm. you know, or how much money you make or you know or you know any of those things it's really about having a good life along the way and treating people well yeah well. you know with kindness and respect and integrity so it's yeah so the show is called making it with terry wallman and i um we we're on the air every wednesday uh, 3 to 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time in the United States. But you can also hear all of the episodes for free. You can download or stream them at entertalkradio.com or you can go to iTunes to the podcast section and look up Making It With Terry Wallman. So there's really incredible conversations that uh, that I've had with people and, and uh, I encourage everybody, all of you to go take a listen and there's, and the, by the way, they're not just musicians, you know, there's some business people, there's music attorneys and managers and radio promo people. And, and even outside of music, you know, actors and, 
um, publishing people and, you know, just anything that I think would be of value to myself and, and you and, you know, all of us, you know, that information that, that would be entertaining and interesting. Very cool. Yeah. I, I loved it. Um, and the whole podcast platform is so great because yeah, otherwise down here in Australia, I'd have no, no way to access that. But yeah, I've, I've just um, subscribed through iTunes and, and great, it. great. So I played the, uh, the Michael Thompson one the other day. That was fantastic. The yes. session guitar legend yeah. and um one I, i've loved so much was um with abra laboreal um yes yeah oh, man what a what a musician i first became aware of him on um some gospel albums in the early 90s and mm-hmm. um man his playing is full of so much joy and then to to hear his life story was was fantastic his his story is fascinating because he grew up in mexico city mm-hmm. and he's a black musician you know and but who speaks fluent spanish with a mexican accent so it's um you know there there it turns out is a large community of of black uh families that live in mexico that are born in mexico and uh and that's their their culture but i had never met anybody who wasn't lighter skinned okay uh you know from mexico um so um and but I, I met Abraham in 1981, the first year that I moved to L.A., because he worked with the Crusaders and and he was playing on all those records. And and that's how Abraham ended up playing bass on my very first record and has played on all of my records. Oh, wow. um, Fantastic. You know, he's been a, a, he's become a very dear friend. I love him. Um, he's one of the most remarkable musicians on the planet. And his story is fascinating. It really is. That that might be a good one to start with if you go listen yeah, to the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's got some really wonderful and funny stories. Yeah. I I learned something on that show about you. Uh, one thing I love about your interview style with, with the, the few episodes I've heard, I've, there have been moments when I thought, well, Terry could jump in here. Terry has done this or that. But you leave a lot of space for your guests. You're very... Um, even though you've walked many of the same roads some of your guests have, you you always live mm-hmm. wide open to them, which which is fantastic. But you did mention, you're talking about Abe Laboreal missing um, part of his uh, index finger on his the left finger. hand. And you mentioned yes. your hands. Um, yes. Yeah. Through a bicycle accident. What what happened there and how has that impacted you as a musician? Um, well, it's impacted me um, profoundly. I, I had a bicycle accident um, and when I was in my thirties, my, uh, mid thirties, uh, to late thirties, when I was living, you know, I was already living here in Los Angeles and I, and it was a regular, it wasn't a motorcycle, it was bicycle. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't, um, on a trail. I was just riding on the road. And as a matter of fact, ironically, I was riding to a recording session, uh, to do some overdubs and my guitars were already at the studio and it was only a mile or so from where I lived. And I've always been very physically active, you know, exercising whenever there's an opportunity and whether it's the gym or, you know, if there's if I could ride instead of drive my car, I would. And that was one of those times it had been raining and there was some oil on the road and on some railroad tracks that I was crossing and I crossed. I slowed down. I I grew up on a bicycle, you know, growing up in Miami, we rode bikes everywhere and it rained all the time. But I didn't understand that the roads 
were different in Florida than they were in California. They were made from different materials. And so in Florida, the, the, after it rains, the roads just dry out. They're not slippery. Here, they retain um, moisture and oil and everything. So I, what I did was um, being safe. I just slowed down. I was only going about as fast as you would be walking. And I crossed the first set of railroad tracks and I was fine. And I, I just thought, let me just slow down. There's railroad tracks. I, I want to be careful. The second set of railroad tracks, the bike just flew out from under me. It, it hit some oil, the front tire, and it's as if somebody had yanked the back tire um, out from under me. I immediately was on the ground. I landed on my chin. Uh, I shattered my two front teeth and came very close to breaking my neck. I thought it was broken um, because I hit incredibly hard. And once I realized that I was on the ground on the road, lying on my face, I also couldn't feel anything. And that terrified me because I thought this should really hurt. And I couldn't feel anything. So I thought that I maybe had broken my neck and was paralyzed. And I wasn't sure. And and I laid there for what seemed like a few minutes. And I don't know if it was or wasn't. No car stopped. It was still drizzling. And for, you know, it's just it's a sad um, <laughs> reflection of society when you see somebody lying in the road and you don't pull over, you know, to yeah, yeah. call or help or anything. And nobody was really paying attention. And, you know, so um, I very slowly started wiggling my fingers to see if I could move my hands. And I, I could. And then I started to. I, I knew that if you have a neck injury, you need to really be careful, but I also needed to get out of the road. Um, so I, um, I sort of lifted my face off of the pavement and pieces of teeth started falling out of my mouth. And so I, that was horrifying. And, and uh, I basically slowly just got up and realized that I could move. And so I, I, managed to get up and picked up the bike and leaned on it. And I was only a few blocks from my house. So I basically very slowly just leaned on the bike and made my way home and then went inside and then called, um, I actually called my cousin who was a doctor, you know, and, um, he wanted me to go to the emergency room and yeah. So, uh, but I essentially had a concussion, contusions, shattered teeth and, I came very, very shy of breaking my neck, but I damaged the vertebrae in my neck. Um, and they ended up over the next year essentially disintegrating. Uh, and so I had to have a spinal fusion in my neck. And I'm trying to make this as short of a story as possible, but it's, you know, it was a big moment in my life. And yeah, so yeah. I um, ended up about, a year after the accident or nine months after the accident, I had spinal surgery. But during those nine months, I started to lose feeling in my hands and I was getting a lot of pain, um, shooting pain and my neck was getting worse. And I had been tra traveling and performing a lot and it was starting um, to profoundly impact my ability to play besides the pain and, uh, and the numbness. So when I was finally able to, get the insurance company to approve, um, surgery. It turned out that my, 
my surgery was successful. They put a titanium plate in my neck. I had this amazing doctor, Dr. Robert Bray. I'm forever grateful to him. And, uh, but there was already nerve damage, uh, in my hands, in both of my hands. And I had went to physical therapy, acupuncture. As a matter of fact, um, a year after surgery, I even started studying karate as part of a way to regain the, the feeling and, and get more mobility. Um, but, and I went to, again, acupuncture and, you know, everything Eastern and Western medicine. And I was basically told that, you know, when the, you know, when you get nerve damage, sometimes you don't ever fully recover from it. And that turned out to be the case for me. So even though my neck was better, uh, the insurance company dragging their feet had um, taken too long for me to get surgery. So it, I couldn't play guitar for about a year. Uh, I, I basically could play for about five minutes and then I would just get completely numb again. And, you know, I worked my way up to 10 minutes and 15 minutes and an hour. And, and, and eventually I basically just realized that I was never going to completely heal from this injury, that my hands were always going to be numb to some degree. And I might as well do what makes me happy, you know, and see if I can figure out how to play guitar again, you know, and do it for sustained periods of, of time and, and, you know, make records and, you know, get it back to pro level. And that, and I did, it, it meant that I might not necessarily be able to play as fast as, um, other people, but there's more, um, there's more maybe depth, you know, mm-hmm. or the in, intention for every note that I play, they, yeah, yeah. you know, they, they mean more to me. So, um, so my hands are always constantly in some state of numbness, you know, okay. that kind, kind of that feeling like when you fall asleep on your hands and wake up and yep. they're sluggish. And so that's, that's that story. Wow. That's, that's yeah. huge. I mean, for any, but, anyone in any field, but for a musician, that's, yeah, that's a, a huge challenge and wow. Props to you for pushing through and continuing to you. make amazing music. I really appreciate that. And by the way, just to, to cap that, I had, uh, something that really completely put it in perspective for me. There was, um, I spent a year touring with Kev Moe in his band, yeah. uh, the, the wonderful blues artist. And Kevin had asked me to join his band and we were traveling and we were doing an outdoor concert in Seattle, Washington. And I remember on my side of the stage in the audience, there was a young man in a wheelchair and I could see him because he, he was in the aisle. So, you know, he, he stuck out, you know, visually, yeah. but the interesting thing about him, he was, uh, a, par- a quadriplegic. He, it turns out he only had feeling or movement in a couple of fingers or one finger in one hand, but from the, and from the neck up. So, but from the neck up, he was nodding his head and bobbing in time to the music with a big grin on his face. And I could see him because he was on my side of the stage. So he really caught my attention. Um, uh, because his sense of rhythm was really strong (laughs) and and I was, I was very curious about him. Plus he was having a great time, you know? And, uh, so I ended up meeting him after the show, you know, and I went up and, and talked to him and it turns, we started talking and 
I said, I can't help but notice that, you know, you have this really great sense of rhythm. And he said, well, I was a musician before my accident. And he said, you know, he had an accident when, when he was in high school and ended up being paralyzed. And I said, I have a neck injury also, but nowhere nearly as bad as yours. And he said, what's your injury? And I said, I had a bike accident, C5, 6, and 6, 7 with a spinal fusion. He said, oh, we have the exact same injury, except mine was just probably another millimeter worse than yours. Oh, wow. So that really put it, that framed it yeah. for me because, you know, I, you know, you, you kind of think, well, maybe I could have broken my neck or, you know, and you don't want to feel like you're sounding melodramatic or anything like this, but you think of those things, they scare you, they're yeah. real possibilities, but he put it in perspective mm. because I almost did end up paralyzed. And, uh, you know, so he, and I, he said, you know, look, it's great that you can play. And I, you know, I absolutely think it's wonderful. You need to do this and you should talk about it. You should let people know about it because it might help some other people. So <laughs> short question, long answer. <laughs> well, it's a big, it's a big answer. <laughs> I would say, yeah. yeah. So Terry, you are heading, um, yeah, almost into your fourth decade of, of professional music. Mm-hmm. How has the business changed over that period since you know your first tour with with Billy Preston back in eighty one? Has it changed um, intrinsically, or is it still the same kind of idea? Or how do how do things look for you today? I think the thing that's changed the most is that it's just even harder to make a living as a musician, and and it was challenging when I started. Okay, uh, and I think that's because. Um, the, the obvious, because record sales are close to non-existent. Yeah. I mean, you know, people still buy records, but that's, you know, why buy it when you can get it for free is is the new paradigm. Yes. And there's a whole generation of, you know, younger people and probably people that are like, when I say that, I mean like under 30, maybe even 40, mm-hmm. you know, that really never spent they never bought records because they could stream them. You know, um, it's been going on for a long time. So um, they don't understand that there's um, intellectual property and that there's a value to that. And so it certainly makes it harder to, to finance records. Uh, And I would say for, as a person who loves making records, that's one of the most profound changes. Other than that, um, look, you know, there's, there are a lot of people making music now that don't play instruments, and um, I'm not I'm not superimposing a judgment on that. It's just a statement. Mm-hmm. Um, some people that do it are great, some are not. But um, but all in all, you know, there's still to get really good at being a musician, it still takes the same amount of discipline and dedication and passion. So that hasn't changed. That's the same. Okay. Yeah, you see these amazing players on on YouTube or wherever, and um, yeah, they're still getting to their ten thousand hours. They're still somewhere on the journey. So, right, yeah, yeah, putting it together, very cool. And um, if we can just turn this interview full circle, we started talking about no problem. What what does the future mm-hmm. hold with you? Are you you said you had <laughs> such a great time putting that track together? Would that be perhaps part of an album or or what else have you got? It, in the it is. It actually is. I you know I I made um. Uh, an edit of it for radio um, that actually cut out a, a, a piano solo. Okay. So there's a longer, there's an extended version of the song. Yeah. 
as well as the possibility of mixing it as we recorded it without the additional rhythm guitar parts. So, um, you know, for the, in the more raw rock form, but, um, yes, I, I already see that as being a part of my next record. Um, I just had a conversation actually yesterday with, um, the bass player, Hussein Jeffrey, who basically said that was so much fun. When are we going back in the studio again and doing another song? So I'm, you know, something I'm, I'm thinking about, my next record, you know, I've been writing, you know, the past year and I'm always writing, uh, but getting ideas and thinking about concepts and collaborations and things that I might want to do. But I'm also thinking about continuing to put out some singles, mm-hmm. you know, maybe just some one-offs that would at later on be part of a collection, okay. you know, with, with additional new music. So there's more music coming down the pike and I'm looking forward to getting back in the studio. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. And, and Terry, what's the best way for people to um, keep up to date with everything you're doing? The very best way is my website because it's changing every day and uh, and it's terrywallman.com, T-E-R-R-Y-W-O-L-L-M-A-N.com. Mm-hmm. Everything funnels through uh, th- that website and Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and there's videos and there's direct links to iTunes and CD baby. And there's a blog page. Uh-huh. It's very de- deliberately, um, the, the, the one stop for where to find out anything about me and what's going on. And you can even contact me, you know, through the contact page. So I, I would go there or, or just go to iTunes and Google me or just Google me. Yeah. You'll find out more about me than I already know about myself. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, you, you are yeah. a rare breed of someone who keeps their web page up to date, which is incredible in this day and age when you can just yeah, Facebook it, everything. <laughs> it's it's not for the faint of heart, but I have uh, <laughs> I have a really wonderful web uh, designer who also is the photographer and and graphic designer for my records. Her name is Leanna Ringstad, and she lives in Sweden, uh, and then she spends part of the time here in the states, and she's been. Um, pushing and prodding and uh <laughs> getting me to do to understand the importance of um you know continuing to, to write new content and send things to the website and and then she manages the the information so uh you know again it takes it takes time but but it's important and it's a great way for me to um allow for friends and fans to stay current with things that i'm doing and things that i'm thinking about um, and you know, as a matter of fact, it just reminds me, like I need to link my radio show to my website. We haven't even done that yet. So there's always more to do to, okay. to stay on top of everything. I just realized there's not even a, a making it link, you know, on the Terry Wallman page. So I'm, I'm embarrassed to say, so I think I'll be probably emailing Leon after this show. <laughs> well, man, you, you wear many hats. So the fact yes. that maybe one of them's not there yet, I'd, I think it's okay, but yeah. Um, well, I'm I'm pretty good at at uh, forgiving myself and accepting <laughs> my shortcomings because you know there's only so many hours in the day, and I yeah, want to yeah, yeah. spend as much of that playing music as well, Very cool. not just writing and talking about it. Excellent. Well, Terry, yeah. thank you so much. I've loved uh, meeting you and and talking about your career. Thank you for sharing so candidly and and openly um, about an incredible uh, career that's that has lasted many years and is burning brightly as brightly as ever by the looks of things so 
um yeah i just so appreciate your time and um and your openness over these I really, conversations uh that you know something matt it's been wonderful and 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 i'm really enjoying that we're on opposite ends of the globe but we are so connected and through our music and it's been an absolute pleasure to be on your show thank you all right there you go my conversation with terry wallman and what a what a gentleman and incredible musician and an incredible career so it's so great to hear all those all those stories and uh yeah as i said i really appreciate terry's honesty talking about you know some really hard issues in, in this episode and also in the first part of our conversation if you haven't heard that that is episode 84 of the guitar speak podcast you of course are listening to number 86 in between we had michael sweet from striper um lots of good stuff coming up in the show as well the sydney guitar festival's coming up we're uh, we should be speaking to a, a number of the guests from that festival also dave leslie from the baby animals i spoke to him about a week or so ago and that episode will be coming up soon as well thank you so much for joining us remember you can subscribe to us on apple podcasts or the other nine billion places you can get podcasts these days we're on facebook instagram and you can support us on patreon all right my name is matt wakeling you've been listening to the guitar speak podcast thank you so much for joining me we'll talk to you next time